206 of the Modest Waveland podcast. I'm Weishen, and as usual, I have my favorite co-host with me here today. Hey, Tony, how are you doing? I'm well, but uh, I think that my reporters are trying to screw with me this week, Weishen. Why, why do you think that? Well, so on Sunday, I wrote my column about ESG, and I kind of talked about how you know, ESG is kind of whatever. It's, you know, it's a little bit overblown. I think people are using it as a hype tool, yada, 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 comparing it a little bit to blockchain, whatever have you. And this week, it seems like every single one of my reporters wrote a story about ESG in some way or another. I know, you know, you had one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joanna had one. Reb's got one coming out. I, I think there might have been – I can't even remember. There have been so many ESG stories this week. I'm like – what the hell happened? Like, cause I was away last week, so I wasn't in on the reporter meeting, like when we pitch our stories for the next week. I'm like, was everybody just like, oh, Tony's gonna badmouth ESG, so let's everybody write about ESG this week. So, I, I think <laughs> there might be a coup underway. <laughs> to be fair, we didn't really talk about ESG, uh, during the edit call, but. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> but also, how would we know that you were going to write about ESG? Nope, we didn't know that. It's a good point. Yeah, it's mm. just a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I'll assume it's not a coup just yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe later down the line. I don't know. Not, not now yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we'll we'll talk actually about coups in a second. But uh, <laughs> first up, uh, I, I will let everybody know that this week we have a guest on. Um, so you won't have to listen to Wei Shen and I. Uh, bitch and moan about uh, the current state of affairs. Uh, yeah, that was just a, yeah, an episode that we need to get off of our chest. But uh, this week we have uh, Simon Mon, who is the head of Trading Alpha at LiquidNet. And uh, we talk a little bit about just the world of agency brokerages, uh, agency broking, um, the need for analytics, um, get into, you know, I mean, it's around that. It's around kind of just delivering data to the buy side, the right data that they need when they need it at the right point in the trading life cycle, that kind of idea. And so we kind of kick around some ideas, um, um, on that front. So give it away to Simon. Yeah. All right. And now I'm joined, uh, with, uh, Simon Mon. Head of Trading Alpha at LiquidNet. Simon, thanks so much for joining us today. Great pleasure. Glad to be here. So maybe to get started, you know, just for those that don't know, what is a head of Trading Alpha? I'm not sure if I said that full uh, title, but what does the head of Trading Alpha at LiquidNet do? That's an excellent question. First um, of many. Uh, first of many. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're trying to emphasize that LiquidNet is going on a new journey. Uh, there's, there's new management in, within uh, a new CEO, there's new managers within the equity space, uh, and we are expanding the service that we offer, most particularly through the expansion of our analytics platforms, which have been uh, collected together and, and um, made, made into uh, a highly efficient kind of equity support platform over the last three years. So the idea is that it is my responsibility to make sure that that analytic message goes out alongside our execution message and shows everybody that there are two strings to the bow. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, it's a fancy title for someone who uh, is doing uh, a combination of the, uh, the, the transaction cost analysis role, the uh, sales trading role, uh, and the seeking alpha role, uh, and pulling all of that together. Very good. And you co- so LiquidNet, for those who don't know, uh, LiquidNet's had a, a few acquisitions over the last uh, few years. Uh, OTAS Technologies, where you came from, I believe. Uh, that was in 2017. There was also um, Prattle in 2019 and Research Exchange in 2019. Um, so you joined from the OTAS team, um, you know, really got its name in the kind of that uh, advanced buy-side analytics space Um yeah, what what kind of maybe is your background there? Yeah, that's that's how well I, I joined um I joined OTAS uh, as potentially someone who would be using it. Um my background is, is is in portfolio management and as a research analyst and I I saw in that uh two things. I mean, I mean I saw the wave of the future, um the the obvious downsizing of research that was was going on either side of the uh, you know the global financial crisis um, probably flattened out a bit in the last few years I'm glad to say but certainly uh, with all the unbundling and regulatory change that took place after the GFC real times of turmoil for research departments um, and so I saw an opportunity to uh, basically provide analytics to people with a team a fraction of the size that used to be provided. Um, but the more I kind of worked and, and, and used the tool, the more I thought I really, really want to be part of that business. So, yeah, I kind of transitioned into the management of that business and uh, the provision of exception-based analytics uh, to predominantly the buy side. Okay. In the world, you know, maybe then to kind of delve in, we're going to – do a deep dive into kind of the the analytics side and what the buy side is looking for today and what you guys have to provide um, and what others in the industry have to provide in order to keep clients happy. But obviously unprecedented times in kind of the agency brokering world, we'll, we'll start with the assumption that everything's going swimmingly, everything's good and everything like that. But what have been the challenges maybe? What, what, what maybe are the new interesting things that have come to light during this market volatility um, that maybe you'll be able to use as kind of a lesson learned to kind of think ahead of how can, how we can improve our service uh, to our clients. Well, I mean the the, the obvious thing that you know a whole a whole industry is focused on is the rising cost of trade, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and initially uh, that was a combination of driving much higher volumes of slightly higher top of the book, best bid and offer liquidity, um, and the wider spread. Now we've actually seen liquidity and and volume trend back towards the levels that they were at the beginning of the year, but spreads remain elevated. Uh, I was looking at some some data uh, this week uh, across uh, small, mid, and and large cap stocks, and uh, all three categories there spread still around 40% wider. than, than it was at the beginning of the year. I guess really that shouldn't surprise anyone. We've got to pay for those great results that uh, all those investment banks turned out uh, in their Q2 numbers. But dealing with the challenge of the higher cost of trade has has been the biggest thing for the buy-side trader uh, during uh, the, the first six months of the year. Obviously, for you guys, 
to help lower those costs, ease some of those pressures. It comes down to um, it would be a dark pool kind of connectivity, um, increased programmatic trading, but it would seem with some of the latest moves you made, it's it's also about stitching in um, kind of a new breed of kind of analytics um, to provide maybe a little bit of extra value. So the cost of trades going up, but how can we help our client to better understand these costs and to, I guess, make them more efficient? I guess is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the cost of trade is a great deal more than purely commission rate. Um, and actually, commission is something of an afterthought. It is that combination of top-of-the-book liquidity, volume, and spread, and that is largely dictated by the pace with which you trade. Um, in a, a lot of the industry focuses very much on the venue that you trade at, um, but you know we, we like to call the, uh, the, the the venue analysis you know the one basis point problem, whereas we deal with the ten basis point problem, which is the speed with which you trade. Um, now, that can be managed through algos, um, but increasingly it needs to be evidence-based uh, and it needs to be you know, dispassionate, impartial evidence about how a stock trades. And it's, it's not just looking at a TCA report once a quarter and deciding you know, to switch one algo for another on your algo wheel. It's about doing that in real time. It's about providing systems that analyze not just the algorithms that we offer but everything that they're trading because yeah they will need to trade away with other people there are bills to pay there are you know one of the biggest things that's been happening in the quarter of course is the is the huge secondary market issuance and and that always attracts people um to trading more with with the bulls bracket funds just, just to make sure the firms to make sure they you know they're, they're getting their allocation of, of the ipos and the deals so all of these are challenges that people have to people have to manage, but we can fill a gap providing quality and partial information about how a stock is trading and how people should should respond, whether or not they're using our trading tools. Drill into it for me. You know, we, we have a pretty sophisticated uh, uh, listener uh, base, but when you say it has to be evidence based, what are we talking about there? Can you give me some real specifics about today what the buy side needs, what you have to be able to provide? versus what was maybe provided just two years ago? Yeah, well, we, one of the things we like to say here is the stock price is the news. You know, the, the, the traditional way, uh, and, you know, going back in a little bit in time, but the traditional way that someone would respond to the question, hey, what's happening in this stock, would be type into their data provider, Bloomberg or Factset or whatever, try and correlate a news story. If there's no news story that, 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 that matches up with the move, then call out to uh, some sell-side counterparts. Um, all of that, you know, it's time-consuming. Uh, it's potentially leakage. And we hear over and over again about the juniorization of the sell-side and the fact that when they do make that call and, and, and ask for information about what's going on, the answers coming back are less and less satisfactory. So what I'm talking about is the ability to break down what's happening in the market, break it down into return, trends in volume, trends in that top of the book liquidity, trends in spread, and look at all of those elements of the microstructure and know where the exception is. Is it exceptional spread or is it exceptional volume? What is causing that, that price dislocation? And what is a price dislocation? 
Uh, is it just, it's not an absolute move. It must be something more. But is it moving from a benchmark? Or is, is there something more that you can tell us that's more informative? And then when you've done that, how can we then build that back into our trading strategy and take advantage? Why is it different today? Because, you know, you talk about breaking down what's in the market, you know, to provide insights. That's always kind of been the ideal. That That's what, you know, kind of the, the ancient broker is supposed to be doing. Why is that such a challenge in today's market? And then how are you, how, what kind of technologies then help to solve for that? I, I mean, you're right. I mean, this, this is not, you know, this is not new in, in you know, OTAS itself was formed over 10 years ago to do this, to do this type of analytics. Um, and, but I think what is slowly shifting is that as more and more of the, the buy side desks become managers of order flow rather than man, rather than traders of orders and, and you're allocating to algo buckets and algo strategies and, um, you're kind of taking a, a management review of the performance of those rather than being hands-on on every order that you do, particularly when you're talking about big desks who are handling hundreds of orders per trader per day. It's, it's now it's no longer enough to just, just basically devolve the responsibility for tracking the microstructure and say, well, my algo covers that. I deal with such and such a bank, and yeah, their, their algo is the best for that. Um, you need to be able to prove to people that you're using the right algorithm. And because How do you do that? You, you do that basically. Um, well, there are two ways, right? The traditional way of doing it is TCA. Now, TCA is both noisy and unpopular. We recently held um, a virtual roundtable with, uh, with with some of the uh, the larger clients that we have, and um, you know, they were talking a lot about the rise and the, the need to do more TCA and how frustrating it was. But it's frustrating because that's the way they're being measured, how they deliver. Um, I had another, another conversation with a trader who had traded a particular way for a double digit number of years. And then because of changes in the structure of the firm, was suddenly faced with trading relatively small and illiquid stocks against a completely new benchmark. That traded a, that necessitated a completely change in the strategy and the algorithms that the, the trader was going to use to trade that. So that's when you have to then have a trusted partner on the sell side, someone that you can go to and say, hey, look, I've got this major problem. My benchmark has just changed for somewhat arbitrary reasons. And I'm not getting the performance from my, my current algorithms and trading strategies. How can you help me? And that type of customization and consultation um, are some of the reasons why you know people are reaching out now to their kind of preferred providers on on the sell side and saying, "Look, help me because I am increasingly being judged on how these algorithms are, are, are performing. They're they're less and less under my direct control because." You know, they're outsourced to the big bulge bracket providers. So help me monitor them, help me customize them. And by the way, when I'm trading niches like small caps or particular sectors, do you have a specific product that, 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 would, that would particularly help us? Um, particularly if the, you know, in, in Liquidator's case, if you want to access the dark, but you know, other niche firms are available. You know, TCA has obviously been around a lot of different providers that, you know, are tr try and help with TCA. 
what's then the future then? You, you, you kind of talk about how there is some frustration around the world of TCA as is today. What's then the way of the future then as you see it? Yeah, and the, the second part of that roundtable conversation was about, for goodness sake, try and make it interesting to us. You know, because because they are you know because the buy side trader is increasingly being judged on the performance of the trade because it's increasingly being benchmarked through analysis like TCA, they are getting huge amounts of huge volumes of reports being sent by every single broken counterparty, um, and you know everybody's everybody, everybody's good as the last algo you heard about, right? In, yeah. and, and, it's, and, and differentiating when you're faced with grids and grids and just just reams of data um you know it is it is frustrating um so i think the the key particularly for a firm the size of liquidnet the key for us is to take that principle of exception based analysis uh and make sure we are honing in where there's a value to be added um and yeah if you've got a bulk provider who's who's trading a fifth of your book for you and your, your, your leading counterparty, then yeah, they probably are going to be providing you with a, a whole load of information and data. And if you're using a third party TCA provider, they'll be able to provide you all the stats and details and tables and charts that hopefully nothing will ever go wrong and you'll never have to look at. But the key on the sell side as a, as a specialist service provider is to pick out that nugget and say, hey, look, when you're trading this particular sector with this particular strategy, you're not getting the result that we would expect you to do. So here are some suggested tweaks to the way you're set up that we will, you know, we believe through doing our back testing is going to deliver a, a better performance for you. And it, it, it's, it's earning the trust uh, to be that kind of execution consultant uh, that, that um, yes, it's not new, but what is new is that more and more and more of the buy side is demanding this type of service. Okay. You know, to touch back on what you were talking about before about, you know, trying to keep costs down and everything. You know, over the past few years, we've seen um, agency brokers such as yourself, you know, using kind of block trades to drum up business. Um Interesting, you know, new forms of algos that you're talking about to kind of attract clients, TCA and other data points is kind of as, um, as value adds, I guess. Does it come to a point where you almost kind of run out of tricks that you can offer or, or how does that, you know, cause it kind of seems like, cause we're talking about stuff, the things that we've hit on here, a lot of it's been around for a while and just kind of iterations and improving. Do you kind of see that, uh, uh with with what you guys it would seem you're doing with um, the investment analytics uh, offering that you have and combining the three um, acquisitions kind of under one roof to create this new thing, do you think that there's a change underway that kind of has to happen because there's only there's only so much that you can kind of do in those spaces before you kind of really run out of options? Um, yes, I don't think you'll hear anybody on my side of the fence describing what we do as tricks, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but, but yes, I mean, and look, there are huge advantages to trading in the dark, but not every stock at every point in time benefits from from block trading. Yeah. So, you know, we have to consistently work on explaining when is the right time to do it, and no one believes you if you tell them it's the right time to do it if you never tell them it's the wrong time to do it. Mm-hmm. So you have to have. Those more, you know, those arrow, extra arrows in your quiver of alternatives 
in order to build credibility. And, and if, if I can, I could just dig a little deeper on that point, because if, if we look at you know, the volatility that occurred earlier on in the year, you know, this, this, this poses a, a huge conundrum in, in that, you know, if you had alpha, if, 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 if stocks were going to move a long way in a day and you, you, you know, you had strong conviction, you know, you wanted to trade, uh, in, in, in blocks. Um, you wanted to trade in the dark, but at the same time, because there was a lot of intraday price volatility, you were also running significant amount of timing risk in doing block trading. And so there were two kind of forces like, like, um, you know, north, north on a magnet stuck together, pulling in opposite directions. There was a desire to do blocks in order to get volume done uh, and take advantage early in the day of price moves. Um, but at the same time, there was that horrible feeling that the stock might move, you know, a large percentage against you if you did. So that's really when, you know, the type of tools that we're building come into their own. So the idea is that, that, that we say, here is a category of stocks uh, or a kind of sector, a sector space or a, a market cap band within that sector space, which is particularly suiting to a certain trading style. And I will use blocks as an example, but it doesn't have to be that. And here is our analysis you know, of, of how you've been trading in that space and how we can tweak your, your, your setup to deliver a better performance. But here, with the analytic tools, here are, is a way that you can inform yourself before you trade each day about things that are happening elsewhere in the market that might impact on those days' tactics, but also can monitor in real time whether you're being delivered what we said was going to be delivered. And that's how the, that's how the package is brought together. That's how you tie together the, you know, the, the traditional sales trading, the TCA, and the exception-based analytics into a, a, a all-in-one package that the people can use uh, to trade every day. Okay. And so it would sound then that and this kind of goes with something, uh, an article we wrote, recently wrote, and you spoke to one of uh, uh, our reporters, uh, Hamad Ali, but it's about delivering information. It, it, so much of trading today and what really separates, it would seem, um, uh, the, the different players in the market is about being able to deliver information when it's needed rather than here's a fire hose, take a drink from it when you can. And you know, you said this um, to us previously, but uh, asset managers are being inundated with new data sets and, techno and technology providers should do a better job at selecting the ones that have the highest value for a particular trader and providing them at a time when they could be of the greatest use. So that's kind of the, that's the differentiator going forward then is that ability to get the right information at the right time to the right person kind of a thing. Yeah, and with apologies to Daniel Kahneman, I, I like to explain this in terms of thinking fast and thinking slow. If you're, you're trying to contrast the role of the trader with the portfolio manager. Um, on, on the one hand, you've, you've got the, the trader who's very instinctive, very reactive, um, you know, 101 things going on at any, at, at any one time. But perhaps, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to close the book, take a break come back refresh the next day if you labor on things that went wrong that day you'll you, you you'd never survive in the industry and and that really is about you know have you got something to tell me um well tell it to me and tell it to me in the shortest quickest snappiest way you possibly can make it easy for me to digest and then i can move on 
Now, it's a similar concept for attracting attention in the portfolio manager world, but there you have to provide, well, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm not going to do change my investment strategy or change my whole thesis, which is probably based on, you know, 10, 20, 30 data points that I've been analyzing, analyzing over a length of time just because you've managed to tell me some really interesting new fact about credit card spend or some in interesting new kind of job hiring data out of one of the subsidiaries of one of my core investments. Yes, I want to know that information, but I then want to be able to dig down deeper into that and to feel that I own the investment process. Traders, I, I don't, you know, yes, they own the trading process, but they, they're so used to outsourcing the actual execution to, you know, to sell-side algorithms mm -hmm. that it's just the, tell me what I need to know, tell me what I should do. I mean, we have a thing in the design side here. We always talk about big red button, big green button. That's basically, <laughs> that's basically what a trader wants. He wants, yeah. tell me the news, and do I press the green button or the red button? Gotcha. Tell me then just, you know, kind of, because I think one of the, you guys are actually doing something that I find to be pretty interesting with the acquisitions that have been made, with the setup of uh, investment analytics and kind of taking the, these three different unique offerings with OTAS being in the analytics space, heavy on AI, ML, pretty savvy in that uh, area um, when we've written about you guys in the past, um, Prattle, strong, strong natural language processing um, capabilities there, um, and then research exchange obviously big on the research aggregation. Bringing all of that together, what have been some of the unique challenges? Or maybe maybe better than that, what are kind of some of the things as you kind of went about it, you guys are like, oh, shit, actually, this is really interesting if we do it this way. Maybe how do you kind of change that course to kind of be like where we kind of thought the end state was going to be versus today, now that you guys are bringing this all together and bring uh, products to market, um, work on these different proof of concepts that we've written about. What have been kind of some of the unique changes that you've had to make as you brought these all these uh, different pieces together? The, the biggest challenge, I think, is that every portfolio manager, every analyst that you go and talk to has a different view of the world and has a different setup. Um, traders are they're certainly not homogeneous, but they're far less heterogeneous than, than the analysts and the, the portfolio managers. And so getting the visualization right, um, you know, we the take the, the natural language processing, for example, I mean, it's, it's a highly sophisticated process that, that can go down layer and layer and layer and layer until it's delivering you a, a kind of pinpoint you know, piece of information that this, this from that one hour call, this is the core comment that binds the whole theme of this company together. And, and that's a, you know, a really sophisticated uh, piece of analysis that, you know, the inventors of that product are, are very rightly proud of. But it's in, in the way that you, when you're dealing with a trader, you kind of right, deliver that information. Great. Okay, great. Well, what do I do with it? To the portfolio manager, they want that piece of information, but then they want to build back from that. Okay, okay so that's, that's the core comment about that. So how does that feed into margin? Or how does that feed into demand how does that feed into revenue so it, the challenge is really how you take something that is designed to deliver 
a really key pinpoint piece of information and allow people to build back from that, dig deeper into that without saying, you know what, that's too many clicks or it's too slow or I'm having to go to too many different places. How? Yeah, to, you, you described it very well. Right? We've got to bring them all together into one place. And, and the technological challenge is actually pretty simple compared to the user experience channel, uh, the user experience challenge. And when you're building trading software, there are lots of examples about how things should set up. Everybody's got an EMS. Everybody does things in a fairly similar sort of way. But when you're doing portfolio manager and analytics tools, there are far fewer examples of, 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 of what we're trying to build out there. Uh, and there's probably none that are exactly the same. And so getting the user experience right uh, and working very closely with our, with our pilot clients has been an absolutely critical part of that. And, and, a, a big challenge. Well, it, yeah, because it is unique. It is, it's interesting um, what what we're kind of seeing in space, and including what you guys are doing. Because you're seeing on the we wrote a story about this was on the both risk and waters. Um, but in the EMS space, you have your traditional providers like your Bloomberg, your Market Access, your Trade Webs, um, your traditional kind of EMS providers, and then you have this kind of developing a different kind of an ecosystem. Um, like Liquidity Edge, uh, liquid, what you guys are doing, Open Door, TrueMid. Everybody's kind of trying to feel out, kind of try different things in the space. So how do you see your company differentiating itself as this market changes? Maybe, you know, because you have those kind of traditional, those market access Bloombergs, but then you have this kind of, not that you guys are by any means new, you guys are one of the most well-known established uh, industry brokers around, but from that execution space and providing an execution environment how do you think that you're going to be able to differentiate the company in this changing marketplace over the next two, three, five years? You're right in, in identifying that challenge because Liquidnet as a firm started off uh, as the, the dark pool block crossing venue, um, been operating as an algorithmic trading provider for well over 10 years now. So, Diversification and change is, is nothing new for the firm, but you mentioned the timing of the the acquisition and and the you know the analytics side of things being put together only over the last three years, and they are very different from those executing things. So yeah, how do we earn the right to be heard in the field of analytics? There are some wonderful analytics providers out there, and you've listed um, a number of them. Um, so the way that we want to differentiate ourselves is very much around this exception-based uh, analysis. It's, so it's, it's our ability to do a lot of the passing and the sorting and the cleaning up uh, of the data. I mean, yes, there are some very large buy-side firms out there who do this all themselves all the time. But for large parts of the industry, you know, they – the cost of doing that is almost prohibitive. And given that the type of techniques and uh, uh, mathematical methods and things like that, you know, there are some twists and turns to them, but they're, they're, not, you know, they're not entirely unique. And therefore, it's the cost of the data. It's, it's, it's the actual time taken to go in and read patents, to do your own back testing, 
you know, to throw out nine-tenths of everything you find because actually it doesn't do what it says on the tin. Yeah. That is a painstaking and difficult process, and data scientists are in short supply and expensive. So if we can be a trusted, central, neutral provider, and the key thing here is because of our agency positioning that we're, we're not we're not telling a story that favors our book or any way. We are just the provider of, of kind of pure analytics for you. Then we hope that we can work alongside you know, a Bloomberg or a FactSet where you can find with enough work everything under the sun. But here is actually the thing or the, the three things that you've told us either through analysis of your behavior or actually by working with us on the pilot screen, on the pilot scheme, these are the three things that you care about in this particular situation. And here they are analyzed, cleaned up, and you know, with, with, with the option to then go behind and do, do more digging should you need it. Okay. And then, you know, last question. And so taking away, taking away LiquidNet and what you guys are doing, for you personally – what, you know, as a manager, as somebody that just had to kind of adjust your time and stuff like that, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned uh, during this, uh, during these last four or five months that, you know, what, as a manager, what have you kind of had to change personally that hopefully will make you stronger going forward, that, but maybe wasn't the easiest thing uh, over those first couple months? You know, the, I mean, we, we, you know, we say we're here to help people deal with the breadth of the data that's out there and there's too much for anybody to monitor but it's actually very difficult and you know returning from a perhaps more slightly more technology position to actually sitting on the sitting on a desk and and, and interacting with clients on a daily basis watching stocks go you know up and down each day because ultimately that's what i love to do you wouldn't be in this industry if you didn't want to watch stocks go up and down but there is so much more information that's out there now. And yes, we try and draw from market and alternative and other sources, but there's always a thousand and one things going on. So this week, you know, if you haven't had an eye on the precious metals, then you've really missed the story. The market might be relatively flat in, in, when we talk about equities, but you know, precious metals, Bitcoin, alternative, they've all been going crazy. So it's being able to, as an, as, as, a, as an old school, and I am an old school person because I'm old, it's being able to devolve and trust um, other people to, to monitor those things for you is the hardest thing to do. And, and that's why you know, I, I come back to where I, I, I said right at the beginning, which is ultimately we have to earn the right to be trusted. And the only way that you do that is is by providing analysis that sometimes is in your favor, but sometimes suggests that you should maybe go and trade or, or execute or do something somewhere else. And, and, and if you can do that and you can earn that reputation as being that trusted agency provider, that's how we'll differentiate ourselves in what is a very competitive world. All right. Well, Sam, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. It was uh, informative. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I think first we have to talk because Shannon and I both watched a documentary this week that loosely ties to uh, to work, but it's just a it's a fascinating documentary that we think that you, that you guys should watch. It actually ties quite a lot into work, you know, considering guess, the, yeah. the the some of the issues that we we talk about or some of the platforms and technology that that's involved here. So I recommended um, 
to Tony that he watched this document documentary called The Kleptocrats. And it's uh well, it's about the huge scandal that involved the ex the former uh Prime Minister of Malaysia. Clearly close to my heart since I'm a Malaysian citizen and um well watching the documentary just really got me angry again. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad you, you, that he's out of power. You text me or like you know, you should watch this. Uh, I'm so angry about it right now. And I'm like, well, I'm not Malaysian, so I'm pretty sure it won't piss me off. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the famed, uh, one IMDB, which one MDB, sorry. That's why I hate <laughs> the name of it. I, and I knew I was going to screw that up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting. Cause like I knew about it loosely. The connections to hot, the the real connections to Hollywood and everything like that, I thought were uh, very interesting. But for you, as a, is it Malay? I'm not a Malay. I'm oh. I'm Malaysian damn. Chinese. Oh, damn it! Ch- Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tony, Tony, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I know. I know. Can't expect me to remember all these things. It's tough for me to remember all these things. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But um, what, what was uh, for you the uh, most interesting thing about it? Oh, there were a lot of interesting things about it. Um, I mean, for one, uh, you know, when when they did the raid on the prime minister or well, ex prime minister uh, prime minister's house, you know, getting things like uh, I think a couple hundreds of uh, designer bags and jewelry and uh, seventy-two yeah. bags worth of cash. Cash. Like that's it. Like. Like, you know you're about to be raided. Like, how do you not, like, go and funnel this money somewhere else? Like, when you kind of see the walls closing in on you a little bit, because they were saying, are you going to resign, everything like that. That's when you start sneaking bags of money out the door. You bury, you put in some islands and stuff like that. And then once you get your chance, boom, get on a boat, you're out of there. Too cocky, I think. He was too cocky. Exactly. Power corrupts. Yeah, he just believed. I, I, I think anyway, he just believed that uh, this would never, this would never come out in the open, and uh, he would be able to claim uh, plausible deniability for forever. <laughs> <laughs> Even now, he's he's claiming that, which is dumb, saying that he overtrusted, uh, you know, people involved in the deals. Trust too much. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. That's that's bollocks. I, I thought that that was definitely like. That was like a mute and like, cause like said, like one of the things that helped bring him down was he had his assistant, uh, what was it? Joe, Joe Lowe. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Lowe. Um, who's just an interesting character, which is just worth, it's worth watching a documentary just for that guy. Um, but had him try and get a $27 million ring or something like that for a pink diamond ring for his wife (laughs) using. Pen, using the Chinese, uh, using the Malaysian people's um, uh, funds, tax money. Yep. tax money to buy this ring uh, for his wife, that was just special, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what what actually made me really angry, and I've been well angry about this for a long time, uh, was because it was not done in secret. People knew. Yeah. And it was just that, okay, uh, I believe, I mean, I think every, it's impossible for a government, for any government to be a hundred percent, you know, uh, clean. Yeah. There will be some corruption somewhere. 
right? Whether whether it's from the top or I don't know, um, you know just in between all the other ranks in government. Um, so corruption does exist, but when it's done so blatantly and so on the open, it's just like taking a stab they were at using taxpayers' text. money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were doing like these corrupt things, like texting each other, like being like, but very v secretive, but do this for me. Like it's like. Do you not understand how text works? There's no copy of what you're doing here. Just like, what the hell? I was also like, just because, <laughs> like for me, I, I found it fat because you know, I've been reading a little bit about this story. Obviously, there's the Goldman Sachs tie-in um, that, you know, where they just paid out, what was it, 3.7, 3.8, something like that? Three million dollar? Yeah. 3.9 billion. 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 Um, million? Million uh, or billion? Billion, I think. Billion, yeah. One billion um, U.S. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Um, so they just paid that out as a fine for their role in this. There was a Goldman Sachs uh, guy who was working on this deal uh, with uh, one MDB, texting with a New York Times reporter saying, and she's like, "Why?" It's like there's so much money involved, and she's like, "For you or for the company?" It's like for both, and it's like. What, like, I'm not saying you should be doing illegal things here, but you know that, like, you're now telling this reporter this. It's going to come out. Now, yeah, she might grant you anonymity, but how many people were really working on this deal? So I'm like, that were, was making a ton of money. So, like, that kind of blew my mind. The whole Hollywood piece of this, because there's a production company called Red Granite, and this was definitely uh, – if it was a movie, you'd be like, if it wasn't a documentary, it was just like a regular movie, you'd be like, no, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. But this company, Red Granite, that Shen can kind of explain better, I guess, how it fits in, but they helped to fund the movie Wolf of Wall Street. And the parallels between the actual movie and this were insanely funny. There's an incredible, like, there's there's also an incredible scene with where they have Robert De Niro talking to a reporter again, just going, I don't want to you know fucking talk about this anymore. He's like losing it, and it made me so happy because Bob De Niro was really Bob De Niro. Like he wasn't, you know, that's just who he is. So it was actually comforting because if he was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, we didn't really know, that would have been like, ah, oh, come on, Bob. You know, I thought you're supposed to be a hard. No, he's definitely. Uh, so that was that was very amusing. And then just to watch all these powerful Leo DiCaprio, all these uh, Scorsese, all these powerful Hollywood people being like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't really know anything. Uh, sorry. And it's just like a uh, uh, guy, one of the reporters, I think it was for the Hollywood reporter, said like something like, yeah, the Hollywood people don't care that this money's being stolen from Malaysian people like they don't they don't they don't see them. So they're just like, yeah, screw it, whatever. Mm. Yeah, I mean. It definitely would have been awesome to be at one of those parties, you know, to have like <laughs> Kanye West. Um, is it Kanye? Yeah, it is Kanye. Yeah, West. Kanye, Kanye was West, there. Jamie, uh, J- both Fox. him and Jamie Fox, uh, Farrell at the height of Farrell's uh, popularity. Yeah, it was just like they were saying that just like each one of those people to have to come to your party, it costs a million dollars. And now you have like ten of them showing up. Like Britney <laughs> Spears is there. It's like uh, Paris, uh, Hilton. Paris Hilton's there. It's just like, wow, just the extravagance of this. It's it's fascinating to watch um, 
obviously it's it's incredibly f***ed up and you know especially you know as you know for shen obviously blood was boiling so i was like all right let me watch this now um unfortunately there were some things i was just i was crying laughing about just because of just how audacious just the balls of these people (laughs) to be doing what they're doing and like let me ask you like because you were saying this to me before but we write about all the time kyc and aml right yeah does that not exist actually is that not a thing (laughs) I don't know. Okay, so uh, Goldman Sachs actually helped uh, 1MDB uh, arrange $6.5 billion, U.S. dollars in loans, okay? And with the with some of those texts, you know, that, that the Goldman guy was, I mean, whoever he is, yeah. he or she, was exchanging with the New York Times reporter, and all these, like, it just made me think, like, oh, what about the KYC and AML slash compliance checks that we write about all the time. And does that mean that it does that that um that goes out the drain just when the money is so big and it's yeah. like, okay, uh we're gonna put that aside. This is like there's the the potentially the Malaysian Prime Minister is involved in this. So KOC ML whatever. Did we take the, the box? Did we did yeah, I mean we didn't get really any red flags. We just we scratched the surface and we did we did what we were told to do, but uh yeah. That was ridiculous, yeah, because you're just like, look at this. It reminded me of actually just because I think it was this week or last week, but uh, I was reading a story in the Sydney Morning Herald about um, uh, Westpac, uh, the bank out there, and they're going through huge AML compliance issues. But I was reading a story, and they're going to be – I'm not sure if they've already been hit or if they're going to be hit with a huge fine, but I was reading this one graph. Westpac was thrown into crisis last year after after Austrac, the governing body – um, accused it of breaching anti-moneying, anti-money laundering laws 23 million times. I don't know. Maybe that's not a lie. It's just like after 21 million times, they couldn't quite figure out that there was a problem. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know if AML is actually a thing. Maybe that's what we should – we need a good AML expert uh, to come on the podcast and explain why AML is probably all bullshit. A- AML KYC is all bullshit. Yeah, I mean, when it just shows, I, I, I mean, I would really love to. It, it could be great to get like someone from Goldman to explain this, but I, I, <laughs> definitely not gonna come on. I don't think it's gonna happen, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, but where, where is that line? Where do they decide? Where, where do you draw the line and say, okay, we'll let this pass, or no, this is, this is not right. This shouldn't happen. Um, this is a red flag for us. We're not going to take this deal. Also, I wonder how many other banks that um, 1MDB actually go to to get this deal. Mm-hmm. Did, other, did those other banks say no? Or maybe they first went to Goldman and they were like, look, we can craft you this deal. You'll get like big bonuses and you get this commission. Um, so it's only for you and that's mm-hmm. it. You know? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. When all the evidence is laid out so clearly, like the very first, so the New York, it was a New York Times reporter, I, I can't remember her name, um, that I, I think first kind of broke it open, but she, she just started examining, uh, the companies that were leasing out, uh, uh, space in, uh, what was, what the, they were buying, the, um, uh, buying. 
Not sure what building that was. Midtown building. Yeah, I can't remember which circle? one it was. But, Something called uh, The Columbus Circle. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there was each one of the, there was some sketchy, like each one had a sketchy name to it, though they were different, but they were all written in the same way. And she just kind of, it was so easy to kind of connect. It wasn't easy because it took the, the initiative, the drive to go and do it. But it was just like, surely we always talk about AI and machine learning is going to spot these, these fishy kind of strange things where if we connect them all that, yeah, that is weird. Well, each one was, it was written like, um, it was like a street name or something like that. Parentheses NYC LLC or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. And so they each had different names, but it was always parentheses LLC and that. So the simplest AML uh, uh, or machine learning thing, in theory, of the people that talk to us about AML, it should have solved that problem. It should have been able to spot that a mile away. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to wonder now about technology. You know what? You, you swung me over. I haven't even thought about this. I'm now starting to wonder about all AML KYC technology. So we need we need an expert on that to come on, and we'll grill you on that. <laughs> yeah, let, let's definitely do that. <laughs> so I guess, I guess first we, we'll <laughs> get what? <laughs> I, I guess that's enough of us rambling because we could definitely go on for uh, quite a while more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if any of you have uh, interesting insights to what you think about this, do let us know. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Till next week.